Hello, everybody. This is Noah, and welcome to Change Talk, a podcast where I have conversations with people who are thinking about change and are open to talking about it. Hello, everybody. This is the second part of our two-part series on the Jewish High Holidays. This time period started with Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, often rich with a forward focus on how we can make life better. And before Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement or Forgiveness, we have these intermediate days called the Aserat Yemei Tshuva, the Ten Days of Tshuva, which means to return, repent, or to make change for the better. A lot of my inspiration for this podcast is based on the powerful ideas in our Jewish tradition of our ability to make the world better that we can choose to make positive changes, that we are not slaves to the stars, but free beings. Now, it does not mean it is easy for us to make these improvements. In fact, one quote that sticks out to me from our wisest teacher in the Jewish tradition, King Solomon, he says that one who rules over his spirit is better than one who conquers a city. I hope that you enjoy this week's guest, Rabbi Shalom Schwartz, and that his change talk can in some small way inspire your own. Please note, this podcast is not therapy and is not meant to be a replacement for therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. Welcome to another episode of Change Talk. This is our second episode in a two-part series on the High Holidays, the Jewish High Holidays. This episode will be airing just after Rosh Hashanah and on the eve of Yom Kippur. And of course, Yom Kippur is literally the day of Kapara, the day of atonement, repentance, change, improvement, growth. And, you know, in the Jewish calendar, we move often, we move first from Rosh Hashanah and I heard a, a brilliant explanation, and I'm, I'm not going to take too long to do this before I introduce our amazing guest, but we start with Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is our new year. It's this idea of crowning God as king of the birthday of mankind, all of these sorts of renewal experiences that we have to start afresh and to look towards the future. And at the same time, that's the first element of tshuva, of return, of making a change. It's first to look into the future to see how we can make things better because then we don't get bogged down with looking into the past. And so Rabbi Sachs, Jonathan Sachs, former chief rabbi of, of the UK, heard an explanation which I really resonate with, which is what he learned from Holocaust survivors, namely that after the Holocaust, they didn't spend time dwelling into the past in that form of tshuva, what they did was they first looked to the future and only many years later were they able to go back and look into the past. So we have this paradigm of looking forward into the future and then looking back. And so for Rosh Hashanah, it's all about hope and renewal. Even in the secular New Year's, it's all about making real change and hoping and having all these goals and aspirations for the new year. We have the same thing here for Rosh Hashanah. But I think what the problem is, is then people don't really go back into the past after and see, 
what was getting in the way and what is getting in the way and how can I really make this better by making the past better now. So that's sort of what we're going with here. And obviously we talk about that with change talk. We talk about the big vision of how people want to make an improvement. And then we really hold on to what's been holding that person back. We have to focus on the past in order to make a better present and future. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our first rabbi on the podcast. I don't know if he wanted to be introduced in that way, but this is Rabbi Shalom Schwartz, a Canadian and is, is currently living in Israel. So hello, Shalom. Hello, Noah. Great Thank to you. be here. You and I have been connected for quite a while. I've gone to school with your nephews in Toronto and obviously known about you for a long time in the Jewish community that we live in. And for the last few months, we've been learning together a special project that you've been working on. So tell me, tell us, tell the audience about yourself a little bit, how you spend your time, what it means that you're a rabbi. What do you do with your day? Wow, what a question. Uh, what do I do with my day? I, I think that I live kind of like other people do. We eat, rabbis, they <laughs> read, they, they speak to people, they have families. I, I uh, thank God I have a big family and I try to stay in touch with my, especially in these corona times, as much as possible with my children and grandchildren who are around the world, um, both in Israel and the United States and Canada. So that's um, something I do with my day. I have an amazing wife who um, we've been growing closer during this Corona time, supporting each other. And that's part of important part of my day, spending time together. And um, I have uh, other projects. I have uh, some visionary projects. I have some less visionary projects, but I, I grew up in a tradition of uh, that we all have a responsibility and an opportunity to make a difference in the world. And my own relationship to Judaism was sparked by that, by that understanding that it's central in our own tradition, that we have this uh, ability and responsibility to change the world, to, to make uh, the world the place that we want it to be. So I spent a lot of time doing that, thinking about that, working with people in partnerships and, and an organization that I've created in order to do that in certain ways. And I spend time learning, learning Torah, learning our tradition. I spend time meditating, which has become a very important part of my life in the last number of years. So I, I guess like I'm like everybody else, basically, finding my way to fulfill what I'm here for. Remember that I have some reason for being here on this planet. And you got a lot going on and I was just struck. And I think this is really something that, that you notice a lot, or I notice a lot in having conversations with people that, that I feel a sense of, uh, that I look up to in some ways. The first thing you're talking about is relationships. You're talking about family. You're talking about not just, I asked you how you spend your time, what you do. Some people go right into their career. You sort of talked about family, life, the world uh, in a holistic way, that all of these different parts of yourself are a part of your mission or your relationship. It's something that I notice and that uh, is inspiring to me for me to hear about. So for our audience here, I really am interested in learning more about this project that you have been working on worldwide that is trying to, in some small way, make the world a better place. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. 
I'll just start with a little bit of a comment about what you said. I think that the, um, you know, my own understanding of the idea of changing, making change, creating change, transformative change, it all begins with ourselves. If we don't have a wholeness within, if we, if we aren't able to work with the ongoing dynamics of improving ourselves and, and having a vision for, for our own life with ourselves, our relationship with ourselves, all of the relationships are a reflection of the level of wholeness or brokenness that we bring to that from ourselves. So I think that that idea of sort of concentric circles, you know, we start with ourselves, we have a relationship with our family, our wives, our, our, our children, our immediate family, extended out to extended family, to friends, to community, to our, our, our people, as we call it, you know, a nation, our people, our, and of all of humanity, those, elements are all intertwined, but they start with this commitment to, to ourselves. And even the, the you referenced Yom Kippur as being a day of atonement. Atonement can be read, of course, at one minute. Um, mm. and, and that to me sums up what this period is about, is really looking at that oneness that we have firstly with ourselves and our family, and of course with the whole world. So my own, um, engaging with this project. It's called uh, in Hebrew project Aseret, the Ten Commandments project. The word Aseret is the Hebrew word for ten, as it appears in the word uh, Ten Commandments. And it's a, um, it was the, the evolution of it, the genesis of the project was actually when I was looking for about a decade ago, a little over a decade ago, I was, uh, I, I moved to Israel 30 years ago almost, and um, about 10 years ago, I realized that I was, uh, my background is in education and creating educational projects to teach values. Um, and I wanted to do something more homegrown. I'd, I'd spent a good portion of my life doing that in Toronto and, and North America. And then I was working with um, Russia, Jews in Russia primarily, and Russian immigrants to Israel. And then I, you know, you sort of come back to yourself, you say, okay, what, what is your home? country, your hometown, your home. Again, like we said, you start with yourself. So I came back to this question of what I felt I could offer, um, engage in to improve Israel, not only as a, a country in the sense, in the normal sense of, um, you know, a, a good life for its citizens, but as, as I once said to a, a Ukrainian national leader, the, the Jewish people received this national vision for our nation, uh, going back almost 3,800 years ago with the, the opening communication of the Bible between God and Abraham. God says to Abraham, go to this country that I will show you, and there you're going to become this source of blessing, not only to yourselves, but to other nations. Because the, the Jewish people's national vision is something uh, to create a model society to create something that would actually uh, be a source of light, as the expression goes in the, in the prophets, a light to the nations, to enlighten first ourselves, our own, our nation, and ultimately be the source of inspiration and enlightenment for humanity. So that dimension of, of Jewish national identity or Israeli national identity has really been a source of concern and attention for myself. We're not there yet, for sure, and, and Israel has its problems and it has its internal and external issues. But I felt that the, if we could come back to kind of that basic 
rooted sense of who we are, um, you know, what we call today core values, that if there was a way to reconnect with our core values internally, what we stand for, what makes a difference to our, to our soul, to our core values, how to live life in a way that's with the integrity of being consistent with our own core values, if we could find a way to do that, it would lift people's confidence, their, it would activate their idealism in a way that would both improve their personal lives, their family lives, and their uh, ultimately the national social fabric of Israel. And as I said before, this was not meant to be something exclusive for Israel. These core values are both rooted in our tradition, but they are universal values. So they speak to the world. And the, that was one of the conditions of what I envisioned for this sort of a, a renewed national vision for the state of Israel that would be centered on the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, as, as we all know, are both rooted in the Bible, they're rooted in the experience that the Jewish people had at Mount Sinai, as it describes in the Bible. And, but it also is a universal vision for all humanity. And therefore, this, this element that the Ten Commandments both contain universal and specifically Jewish values, they also are very simple yet deep. They're, you know, relevant but timeless. They have this um, ability to speak to everyone wherever they are, but they're not so general that they're not applicable in very specific and, and um, significant ways, right? They're not compromising values. They're very specific and, and dynamic. And they also speak both to the individual and the nation simultaneously. They, they're very personal and they speak to my own personal growth, but they also speak to the health of society overall. So the Ten Commandments, which the idea actually came to me from a, a woman named Sharon Portugali, who lives on a kibbutz in the north near Haifa, Ma'agan Michael. She was the one who identified that this was something that could both you know, be applicable, of course, to people who were have a relationship already to, to religion, to the Bible, to, to Torah, as we call it, but also any Israeli, uh, Jewish, non-Jewish, um, you know, and that there's a relationship to these Ten Commandments that was pre-existing to this project. That wasn't coming along, introducing some new idea and saying, oh, by the way, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? You may not remember what they are, but they, they have a, um, you know, they certainly have a... Um, They're there. They're just they're there. there. I, that's how I describe my own experience with connecting with you about the Ten Commandments is I'm also constantly interested in sort of the essence of what it means to be Jewish, because I think that thankfully our people, well, the more we learn about what it means to be Jewish, the more we learn about what it means to be human. And I have just felt that, that experience of really uh, learning this and saying, you know, this goes on forever. This really goes on forever. This idea of the Ten Commandments is something that, like we've talked about, sort of a fractal where you open up one piece and it relates to all these other pieces and it just goes on and on and on. And, and so it's just been a true pleasure to be learning that with you. And when you say the Ten Commandments and just the experience you talked about Mount Sinai, that in, in Jewish tradition, the only experience that wasn't just a prophet himself, like Moshe or other prophets receiving something from on high. This experience of the Ten Commandments was a collective Jewish experience at that time and had a, had a voice then and has a voice now for, for all of us and all of humanity. Seems to know what the Ten Commandments are in some way. We all have it in pop culture. So 
what's it been like for you to be doing this? You had this desire to, to, to get to the essence of, of what it means to be Jewish and to bring that over to the nation of Israel and to the world overall. Yeah, I think it's, it's like um, we spend so much time looking for things outside of ourselves when in fact the, the real journey is inside of ourselves. And it's not even a journey in that sense because it's just it's an uncovering of, of that which is already there. So that's how I felt when I was looking at these Ten Commandments, that I'm uncovering parts of myself that I didn't quite realize were there. And, and the whole notion of, of digging deeper and looking at core values and see how it applies both to us individually and as a collective is a very exciting work. And, I, and I, we took it to the schools in Israel and we were, we've been in, in close to 100 schools and over 50,000 Israeli kids have studied this. And now all across the globe, there are schools that are studying this idea of the Ten Commandments as core values. Sometimes the word commandment is a little misleading because in the Hebrew, it's, they're actually not called commandments. They're called ten statements or principles or really core values because they, they aren't meant to be related to as commandments alone. They're related to as something that we discover from within our core, that which is truly a, a, an expression of our identity. I'm wondering if you can give us a little taste, a little, a little bit of, I, I'm, I'm guessing that there are some people who are thinking, yeah, I know what the Ten Commandments are, and then realizing that they don't. And that's okay, because I, I really didn't, and I, and I hope I could pass the test right now. But they're so there, and everybody thinks they know them, and they don't. And, and so talk to us a little bit about one that's really been meaningful for you, and you think that could be meaningful for other people. Okay, we, we actually start, when we teach it, we teach it from 10 to 1 which deserves its own discussion. But for, for the moment, we'll just, we'll look at number 10. Okay. Uh, it's, it's one of them that you might think is kind of, um, you know, in, relatively insignificant at first glance. And, but that's the point, is uncovering its power as a, as a guiding principle for life. So the last of the Ten Commandments in Hebrew is called Lotachmod, don't covet, don't, don't be jealous, don't look at what other people have and want it for yourself. And, and that idea that uh, we, we tend to look outside of ourselves for fulfillment. We want to be as successful as the other guy. We want to have what, you know, we want to have his job. We want to have his looks, his family, his, um, his home, his car. You know, we, and we're bombarded by these images in, in modern media so that so we're almost being told every, you know, moment of our lives, if you only had this, then you'd be happy. If you only had this level of success, then you would really feel fulfilled. And that message is the opposite of this, of this commandment. It's saying, no, 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 that's not where fulfillment, that's not where happiness lies. It's, it lies in a deep place of not only gratitude, which is, of course, the central message, to be happy with what you have, to take pleasure in what you have, to look at yourself. But it's another, another level of this, which is so fascinating, is that it teaches us about our uniqueness. It, it focuses us back on the fact that we, we really are, as individuals, there's no one like us in the world. I'll tell a story. My, my 10-year-old granddaughter was sitting with me one day, and I said to her, Shoshana, tell me, is there anybody in the world? If you do, at first I said, do you happen to know how many people there are in the world? She said, no, no, I, I, how many are there? So they say there's about 7 billion people in the world. She said, that's a lot of people. I said, yeah, did you ever think, you know, maybe there's someone in this world that's just like you, 
She thinks for a minute. She said, no, there's nobody just like me. I said, there's 7 billion people. You don't think there's someone just like you? She thinks again. She says, no. I said, tell me, how do you know? How do you know there's no one just like you out of 10, 7 billion people in the world? And she thinks for a second. She said, I don't know how I know, but I know. <laughs> Nobody's just like me. I'm, I'm me. And, and I, I, I know that I'm just me. Now, what's fascinating about this, of course, is that it's a 10-year-old girl looking at the world, and intuitively, she looks inside and recognizes this truth of the uniqueness of each individual. Now, the idea of living with this as a core value is so profound because it's not just don't look at other people. It taps into the fact that we have a unique role in this world. If we, we all are unique, then we, we have a unique path. We have something to contribute that no one else can contribute. I, I can't live your life. It's already being lived by you. You know, don't try to, try to be like anybody else because that's covered. Somebody else is doing that. Nobody can cover you, though. You have to be you. And that is just a taste of the depth of one of the Ten Commandments is to uncover this. And, of course, our struggle with, on the one hand, we have something that unites us all. You know, Corona, if anything, it's taught us that we're all in one boat. Everybody in the world, in some way, is the same also. So this uncovering of what's the same and what's unique Somebody, my, my daughter-in-law once said, you know, I'm unique, like everyone else. <laughs> right. And this is very, very difficult for all of us because jealousy, and, and this is where you get into a very weird thing about, are we commanded to feel certain ways? And this is a whole other discussion that, that Rabbi Shalom and I have had because we can't really control in the moment that initial pang of jealousy. It's very natural to feel jealous. But this is a lifetime of work to learn to appreciate what we have in Judaism. It's Ezehu Ashir, who's, who's rich. Sameach Bechelko is happy with this portion. And you see how these de- this debate of Lotachmod reaches out to both how to be a grateful person, how to recognize your uniqueness, to not ignore the values that you actually can bring into the world. And then you, and then you go, and then it just goes on. It just, at the end of it, you say, whoa, like this was about one thing, but it's really about all these other things. And I think that that's sort of the magic of the, the Ten Commandments. And so, of course, we're going to link up all the kind of stuff that Rabbi Shalom's up to. And I really want to stress this is very both deeply religious and spiritual and also deeply humanistic and can connect and be relatable to people all across different spectrums of belief and, and observance and religiosity and different religions. And, and so I hope that as the Jewish people, we can contribute that to humanity. I hope people have learned something a little bit more about the Ten Commandments. And, uh, you know, we right now recording this are about tomorrow is Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and, and then in another 11, 12 days, we have Yom Kippur. So obviously you're thinking about change. There's so many things we, we want to go into related to change. I'm sure there's a million things that you want to do. And I just want to invite you to share one small thing that that's been on your mind in terms of change, growth, and, and tshuva at this time that you want to bring to the change talk table. Okay, I really appreciate this opportunity. I don't have, um, this is not something that uh, happens every day to be invited to, to share myself with an, a, a wide audience and, and certainly with somebody as compassionate and sensitive and skilled 
as you are to to engage this discussion of transformation. So I want to thank you in advance, independent of what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so what I, I brought to the table today, and it, you know, we all have triggers as the term, the modern term goes, things that happen and somehow it, it you know, it triggers a, an emotional response that seems to be, you know, doesn't correspond directly to what's happening at the moment. It seems to be triggering a memory, triggering a, triggering a, um, an emotional hurt, something that some conditioned response, some pattern of behavior and thinking that uh, causes us to um, react in ways that we, we don't always think are appropriate or desirable, optimal. So in my case, I, I've had, I've noticed for a while, but it's, it's also become more intense even today, is uh, when I get caught in uh, administrative bureaucracies and I engage them in ways that things don't go as I wanted or hoped for or expected, I can go ballistic. I mean, I, I literally can lose it I, uh, this morning again even knowing that this was happening. So, <laughs> so I was on the phone with somebody who's, whatever, we just got a, an air conditioner and it, it, it took a week for the air conditioner to come in. We had, we had a 40 degree temperature here in Jerusalem with no air conditioning. We had a family staying with us. It was, it was a little crazy. And so during that whole time to try to deal with the company's um, uh, service department, to deal with the fact that we had received an air conditioner that wasn't working, so we've, I've, I've spoken to numerous different people, almost every one of them, with the exception of two people, I must point out two situations, I was completely appreciative of their sensitivity to me and I didn't flare up. And this, this morning, just to, to zero in, so the, it comes with this very neat uh, component that you can actually anywhere in the world through, your, through the internet, through your, your, your smartphone, control the, the mechanism of the, of the of the what you call of the air conditioner okay so fine so he this guy wants to know if we figured out how to do it. he tried to do it on the phone with us didn't work so he wants to set up an appointment to come to the house to actually do it that's amazing ronan i'm so happy you're coming so however <laughs> so uh, he, he asked we we set up a time it seems like minuscule right we set up a time to do it then i wanted my wife to be here so i sent the message that it, it it's not the best time we have to find a different time so he phones me this morning, I'm coming today. I said, you didn't get the message? I sent the message. Oh, that message doesn't come to me. It goes to somebody else. I said, well, how am I supposed to communicate if the you know, sent to remind? Anyways, we go through this whole thing. And I said, well, okay, fine. You want to do it every time? Tell me a time. I'm going to check with my wife. Fine. You see, he says to me, I'll call you back in 10 minutes after you check with my wife. I said, I can't actually do it in 10 minutes. I said, how can I reach you? You can't reach me. I said, I can't reach you. I said, I, isn't that the simplest way? I thought you were like a service agency. You're trying to serve me. I said, I can't believe this. I, I, you're trying to serve me and, and you, you're making, I have to be available when you call and then, and when I call back when you don't, I, I'm, I'm freaking out. Okay. At this point, I'm realizing that I, I'm, I'm not speaking the way I want to speak. Something got triggered again. I'm, my wife runs down. She's like, who are you yelling at? Like, who, I'm like screaming at this guy who's innocent. I and mean, he's, he's trapped in this system as well. Yeah. Without, I don't want to criticize the system because it's not about changing the system. It's about <laughs> changing me. So I, I, I find myself triggered when something happens in a, and I feel like I thought this was supposed to be for me. 
this is for this you're protecting yourselves you're not helping me whenever that happens and i i i kind of feel like there's a break of integrity with the person speaking to me i lose it i i just i just i just weigh in on them and i go you got this messed up but i don't say in this oh by the way can i just help you with this uh, reorientation what's going on i start i lose it i emotionally lose it i scream at them afterwards i hang up i feel very badly especially you know, before Yom Kippur, here I am, I lost it on this unsuspecting, uh, you know, service person. And I feel badly. And I, I seem to be replaying this over and over again. Well, it's just, first of all, you know, I guess I'm going to say welcome to the club. The, the, anytime you're getting on the phone, whether it's calling for us, calling Rogers or the bank, or it just, it's so weird because for them, they, they don't know who we are. They, they're taking all these calls and we have their own story of how frustrated we are that something's not working. We have, part of this is that we have our day and we're living our life and this thing becomes relevant that has never been relevant before. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. We never think about the air conditioner when it's working, talking about being happy for what we have. We're not, we're not thinking about it in any way, shape or form. So it's, it's irrelevant to us. We can live our life we can move forward in a positive way. And then all of a sudden, something just drains us and leaks us of our energy that we did not want to be dealing with in any way, shape, or form. If we ever had a choice of how we want to spend our time, it would be one of the last things that we would ever want to spend our time doing. We, we, we don't want to be on the phone with people trying to get something worked out that should be working. It's just completely annoying. And again, you were very wise to say, well, you know, this is not about them. This is about me. Even though this is a... There's a system and it's difficult in the system. So what's really bothering you about what, how you're interacting? You know, I, I've tried to get to that um, clarity looking inwards and, and I, it's a little slippery. You know, I, I think on the one hand, I, I got really triggered when I feel like the person is simply not respecting either my time or my uh, situation. And, and there's like this, inhuman interaction almost like you know this is you know why didn't you answer your phone when we phoned you i mean i have a life i i don't answer the phone all the time well we were in new jerusalem and we were ready to pick up the old one and you didn't answer the phone i said you never set up the time with me so i i feel like that kind of interaction is like you're not you're not speaking to me with any sensitivity to my to to me as a person so if, if somebody speaks to me like that, it triggers me. And that's one aspect of it. The, the other thing that it's come to mind, and I don't know, you know, my father was a very organized person. Very, he understood how to get things done. He was like really very, very disciplined, uh, had good administrative skills. He ran a big business with many hundreds of employees. And he, he kind of, and I, I don't have that. I, I never had that same skill. I, I, I'm very different from him in that regard. And I, I think part of the trigger is whenever these things happen, like I'm reminded, like, you can't get these things done. They, they're always going to explode in your face. You don't have those abilities. You're just like, you know, it's like, that's not you. So, you know, and, and I'm getting, I'm feeling, I'm judging myself. I'm, something is clicking that's going you can't do this. You just, you know, you're so, and that inner frustration expresses itself in anger and in, and in dismissiveness and lashing out because there's something more 
you know, deeply personal happening there besides the, the general framework. Right. So it's that first, it's that it's just that annoyance that people are in some way, shape or form, or you're experiencing it as being disrespectful as just being out to lunch. Like you're just expecting me my whole day to be waiting for you to call me. So there's this lack of being on the same page in terms of the respective time and what it means to be able to, to have service being done for you. And then there's this failure in your face of, you know, this deeper sense of, oh my gosh, this is how I've always been. I don't have this level of organization of sort of things working out of that smoothness of just having, you know, sort of well-oiled machine. And when these things aren't working out, even though it's way out of your control and you shouldn't have the expectation that you can control how the air conditioning is going to go, it just sort of reminds you of that sort of sense of failure, that things are not exactly running as smoothly as they could be. Yeah, and, and I think it's, a, it's, it's something in my makeup, it's something in my dynamics with my father that I, I, I want to be, you know, I want to be um, approved of, I want, I want his, his respect and approval in areas of getting things done. So when I, it gets out of control, I, I think part of me goes like, oh, you know, I can't live up to that standard. I, I, can't, I can't be, um, you know, it's a sense of rejection. There's a sense of, uh, of just not being up to par. I'm going to let people I love down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let my father down. I'm going to let my wh- whoever it is down that uh, is expecting me to be a certain way. So the bottom line is it's super frustrating because you are somebody who, you talk about core values, talk about, you know, and you talk about wanting to be the best person you can be and, and, and all these things. And then all of a sudden there's this anomaly um, uh, of interaction that just doesn't feel congruent with how you want to be as a person. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, again, I feel somehow, I, I'll, I'll just share this. I think that um, the, 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 you know, when you see something that's very incongruous with what your general demeanor is, like I'm generally a pretty calm, collected, cool person. People don't think of me as an angry person. If people would, that I know, I mean, my children, a lot of, you know, people that I'm around every day that, uh, and my, my staff, they, they, if they would listen to the way I scream at the cellcom people and you know, the, the scream at the, the air conditioning people, they would be, who is that? Like, what? I, is that you? I, like, How does it serve you? How does it make your life better in some way that you get to uh, unleash this or express it um, in the world? I think that it gives me a chance to let loose. <laughs> right. You ask me how it serves me. I, I mean, because I, I you can't do have... it to anybody else, right? It's not appropriate. <laughs> you can't. You can, but you'll be making terrible relationships if you know. You talked about people that you really care about, and it's interesting because a lot of times people struggle with close relationships. But you said people you work with, people you know, family, they would not see this from you, which is really interesting. Right. You know, this guy that I was on the phone with today, I I really don't know if I want him meet him face to face like it's Yom Kippur it's a good time to apologize and say well, I, I tried to reach him I tried but oh, I, I wasn't gosh. prepared to wait 30 minutes on the phone with the with the waiting to get through to him because there's no I'm way so, to, to I just wanted to tell you that I'm sorry but I'm so annoyed that it took 30 minutes for me to just be able to tell you that and then you're going to call back and say I'm sorry about calling back and saying I'm sorry. you know it goes on and on and on 
But I, I've dealt with, you know, I, I've asked myself, I mean, it's a sensitive issue. You know, if he were to come here, I, I mean, I think face to face, I could, I could uh, manage to create a, a reconcilia reconciliation, although you never know. The last time someone was here that I got angry at, he, he, he stormed out the door uh, and, I, and I don't even know how to reach him um, <laughs> to try to reconcile because I, I don't have a, a direct contact with him. And and I wrote a note asking if someone could arrange for him to call me, but I haven't heard from him yet. So it's 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 rather complex, but your point's well taken. I think that the I, I, what I was saying initially is I think that we have repressed anger. All of us carry certain things that that need some place to let them out. Ideally, we do that in a way that doesn't hurt another human being. And um, you know, I do I do some interesting meditations that involve a catharsis of, of, uh, of anger and of, uh, you know, emotional um, pent up emotions that need expression. I do with some frequency do some meditations that I've learned that, that involve um, letting go of those feelings, which are rather important and interesting. But in terms of what purpose it serves for me, it's, you know, I, it's, it definitely heightens awareness of, of areas of my life that I, I wouldn't be conscious of if I didn't have these outbursts. So in some way, that's, can you sort of clarify that? Because at first you said sort of, it's an outlet. It's everybody needs an outlet and it's an outlet that is more healthy than other ways of, ha of having outlets, um, whether it be towards people that you're really, really connected with on a regular basis. Um, but again, you don't even want this to be an outlet because it's affecting another human being. So, right. But that's well, I'm sorry, I feel yeah. mixed about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if this was a, you know, a hotline where, you know, phone us and yell us, yell at us about all your administrative, <laughs> you know, uh, frustrations. So if there was such a hotline that the person on the other end knew, okay, it doesn't have to do with me. It's just right. person screaming. I think that would be better. I, I'm not happy that I, that I laced into these people. Um, so I have, I have mixed feelings about it. I, I, it is an outlet, but I don't think it's the ideal outlet, especially it's, you know, it's, um, there are other human beings. They need, mm -hmm. they deserve to be respected, even if they're, especially if they're in a system that's making them, um, you know, that's, that's putting them in a situa situation where they, they don't have the natural uh, framework. You know, they, they, they didn't design this administrative structure that they're in. Someone else did. Right. I, always, I always ask these people, let me speak to the person who designed the system, please. They don't know who that person is. They right. can't, they, it's somebody, a boogeyman. It's a boogeyman. Somebody yeah. is protecting themselves. But the bottom line is that um, there's something about that dynamic that is um, challenging for me. And I certainly regret having, uh, you know, created pain for other people mm. who are, themselves are not the, the direct source of this problem. So I, I regret it. I don't want to be doing that. And, and this is helping me to, to see how I can catch myself to, I think I need to breathe more before I go into these conversations. I have to, you know, be aware that, that these triggers are not about the person in front of me and, and some way rise above the, the moment to, to, uh, to not lay into them, but to accept that I'm learning something about myself 
and certainly don't want to hurt another human being for me to do that. Obviously, you don't want to get angry, but you're saying that you're learning from it in some way. You're learning about what's important to you and what frustrates you in the world, which means that you can maybe do something about it in some way, at least what it, what it feels like when you get into that state. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that additionally, um, you know, when, when we see something about ourselves that we were not so aware of, you know, that, that moment of, you know, putting our, our heightened awareness, our consciousness on that expression of frustration, on the expression of anger, that itself is a very, has a potential transformative um, dimension to it because it's, it's usually in states of unconsciousness that we perpetuate the problem. You know, the more we become conscious of our faults, the more those faults can actually dissipate and ideally disappear as we kind of look at the, the ego expression of them, the, the attachment that we have to those, to those experiences which are not from our soul consciousness, they're from usually an ego attachment. So that the moment of awareness itself is, is healing. So being, so in, in other words, you talked about having blind spots and in some way, when you do get angry, that means it's not a blind spot anymore because it's so obvious. And I'll, I'll just invite you only for a, a moment more, just to reflect on if anything else comes up that you think is saying, this is why this serves me in some way. Well, it, I guess what comes up now is the the desire for justice. <laughs> this is unjust. That right. that I, that you know, another time that I used to get triggered very badly was when my cell phone company would offer me new um, deals over the phone in the middle of my day and start going into this whole rap about this, how this is going to save me money and it's much better and it's blah, 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 blah. And I said, can you, you send it to me in writing so I can evaluate it? No, we can't do that. Only on the phone, only right only now. On, only on the phone right now. That deal's going to disappear <laughs> the second that you say no. And, and I, there's something unjust about that. And so I, I, I feel like my, my, um, Whatever. Again, you can say that in different ways. If I was super conscious, I would say it in a very measured, soul-based way. I said, I love you so much, you cell phone salesperson. <laughs> and I just want to share with you that I, I really am not going to take on this offer at this moment. But I want you to know that I love you. And I know that you're really working hard to, to make a living. And, and I respect that. And, and I just want to let you know I'm saying this no in a loving, caring way. That would be one way of, which I've never ever done. And that would be a an ang very angelic way. And then there'd be like a sort of, I know that this is your job. I appreciate you calling me with this, but I do feel a sense of frustration right now that, that this is, that you're calling me about this and then I only get to do this now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's interesting the, because you're saying that when you experience that anger and, and you express it, it's like, it, it's connecting to again, Sedek or justice. This, this sense of doing the right thing and things being in order and things being proper, this sort of righteous indignation, if you will. And That's so right. yeah. it's it just an outlet for that, even though it doesn't necessarily fit the context of the situation. It's an opportunity for you to express anger, meaning express that things should be better. And I don't like this. Right, exactly. And, and, that, and, and truth is, I, I would like to have the ability to express righteous indignation 
in in meaningful and yes. important matters. Right. right. And I and I don't always have the courage to do that. And but it's showing me that I have that inside of me. You have that you have that spark of 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 sort of positive, you know, being angry in in measured ways is a way of expressing that things should be not the way they are. Things can be better. And that's a very, that's connected to our core values um, of of being human. And so in that moment, when you, when you experience that, even though it doesn't fit um, what's really going on, it's an opportunity for you to remind yourself that you have that spark of justice inside of you. Right. That's a big deal. That's a very interesting perspective. I I don't think I've ever really examined that properly. That's a big, that's a big deal because it's something that is, is I hold very dear Mm-hmm. And, and I, I value that ability to act with courage and humility in the face of, of you know, uh, injustice. And, and there are plenty of injustice situations, unjust situations in the world that require us to, to react, not just in expressing righteous indignation, but to act on it, yeah. to do something about it. And I, I feel that um, I would like to be more living with that value. And this is awakening that dimension of me i'm aware that that like you're saying it's in there and it gets expressed not in ways that i are most appropriate but it certainly shows that potential right and so you have this sort of opportunity to express your care for justice which is obviously really important for you um it's important to sort of give time to these things even though they're not what you want to do they're not how you how you want to how you want to live but it gives you an opportunity just in the moment to say, these are why I do these things and then I can find a, m- a better way to do it. So you've gone through a number of these few different reasons why you don't want to make this change in some way, even though we know you do and you've already expressed that sense of regret of doing this and it, it being incongruent with your character. So, so let's, let's strengthen the change talk. Talk to me about why this isn't serving you and why you do want to change. Look, I, I feel badly every time it happens. I, I feel off balance. I feel disconnected to myself. I feel badly that I hurt another human being. I hurt their feelings. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to be acting that way. I don't want, that's not an expression of my vision for myself, of, of, of my own values. I, I, it's, it's contradicting them. Right. So I, I recognize the, the, I have a desire to change. I have a, interest in changing it's not good for my health the the expression isn't isn't worth it even though we talked about all these things that sort of it it provides for you it's really those things you can get in other ways the way that you're expressing this right now is not in line with the kind of person that you want to be in the world that's right and that's the first and foremost thing And, and again when you have that incongruence of character in some way it's it's frustrating like, I, like for, for myself, I can think of just when I sort of get organized or recalibrated and, I, and I'm back to like an equilibrium, it feels enlivening and, and doing things out of character is disheartening and discouraging. I, I had a recent experience too where I just, I interacted with somebody in a way that I didn't want to be interacting um, based on a trigger. And, and then it just, after I'm like, this is just not the kind of person that I want to be. How, how did this happen? How, how did I get to this place? Um, and it's just it's super dysregulating. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add to that. I, I'm a person who 
when I engage in a certain emotional state, I stay there for a while. Right. <laughs> so I, it it's, it spills over into other relationships too. I, I can't I can't get work done after that for a while. I can't write properly. I can't interact with my family from a good place. I, I carry that negative emotional cloud with me, um, you know, far beyond the phone call. Um, sometimes for minutes, sometimes hours, sometimes days that right. it haunts me. Right. So it's not just in the moment you feel out of character, which is really important for someone like you who's so focused on values and so focused on integrity and has so much integrity and lives so much in congruence with values. That's the, the first thing. It's not only in the moment, it's then after it's got a residue, it's got a, an imprint that then affects that day or th those hours after where you, 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 you lose out on, on getting back on track. Uh, for the day and all the important things that you could be doing with your time. It, it sort of gets in the way of that. Exactly. So you got, you got these two things. One's in the moment-ish and then maybe upon reflection. And then the other is, is getting in the way of the day. What else, what else comes up? Well, I think that <clears throat> the, um, when you use the word imprint, you know, there, there's, when we enter into very intense negative emotions, we don't, we don't realize the level of imprint that it, it's having. It's, you know, it's something that very subtly can affect a lot of things that you don't realize. And you know, I go back to my studies or my writing or my speaking. It's, 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 there's the conscious residue, <laughs> and then there's the unconscious uh, imprint and residue that's kind of tainting so much more. I think that's another dimension to it, which... It's hard to, to hard to calculate because it's something that is, uh, you know, below the conscious level. It's just, it's a stain that you just don't want to have, both because of how it's just totally incongruent with who you want to be overall. And then it's just all of the ways that it impacts you after. So what do you, what do you want to do differently? If, if you really could, how would you want to react to these situations? I'd like to laugh. Yes, you'd like to I like, laugh. I like to have my, my, my sense of humor intact during these interactions. That would be a really important way of handling it. Not in a, what do you call it? Not in a um, escaping way. Not in a way to, uh, you know, avoid, avoid feeling. But to, re to step back from it and have the perspective to see it, that it's actually quite, many of these things are actually quite humorous. Like... <laughs> Okay, so you want me to be available to, for any time that you call, that I take your call. Yeah, you, you want that, why? Because you're, that's your job, to, to let me know X, Y, and Z. So I, I have to basically put my life on hold to be able to, that's, that's my priority for the day. Take the call from the serviceman whenever it comes, whatever you're doing, you're in the bathroom, you're in the, making love to your wife, whatever you're doing, Whatever you're doing, it's you take the call. So, so humor, humor would be a very big help in these situations. Right. Breathing. But breathing, right? You talked about taking a breath. Yeah. A few deep breaths. Um, but when I, when I talk to people about this, um, just in general and how I practice it, I do not take deep breaths that are like, like aggressive deep breaths. It's really subtle because from what I've learned about this, it's more about the exhale than it is about the inhale. And it's, really slow exhale, but just like very subtle out that you wouldn't notice it. It's not, you're, you're not trying to make this statement like, 
you know what I'm saying? There's a difference between there's like an aggressive deep right. breathing. It's not in your face breathing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I I I get that. I think it's a, it's a more just slow your breathing down. Just um, you know, be in the moment of of consciousness that your body is. Uh, you're aware of your body. Your body's not taking over. You're being able to to breathe slowly and to be more you know conscious breathing, focusing on your breathing as a way of of uh, ensuring that your body's not taking over your consciousness, but your consciousness is able to direct your breathing. It's just one way of slowing down the process. So there's humor, there's using the breath to regulate the nerve, like the autonomic nervous system that gets aroused by these things. You have a, a couple things go, going for you. Are you open to any, any thoughts that I have about how, like one way that I'm thinking in particular that could help as well? Sure. So, so these two things I would say for sure are amazing. And the, the one, another one that just comes to mind for me is just you preface it. Like I've been on the phone and I've had this exact experience. Um, and I, all I, I, I sometimes just try to float it in there. And I'm sure you've done it. But I say like, by the way, I know you're having conversations with these people all the time. And, and you get a lot of people get frustrated with you. I just want to tell you, this is nothing to do with you. You, you, you know, you're, you're just doing your thing. I'm just trying to get my thing done. I'm so, I'm sorry if I sound frustrated or whatever, or if I am frustrated, I just want you to know, please, this has nothing to do with you. It, it just, I, I feel like sometimes it then takes the guard off because then they, it's almost like um, in, in, in certain, it's like a diffusion where you, you step above the story a little bit and you're naming a story that happens, which is this common story, which is when we're on the phone with service people, we get frustrated and then they get frustrated. And it sort of reminds you that this is a story and then reminds them that it's also not about them because they may be triggered by the fact that people are getting frustrated. Oh, this is the 10th time these people did this today. I hate this. This is, these people are whatever, right? And, and so anything to sort of lift you up a little bit from the story can, can be helpful by narrating the situation in some way. Does that make sense a little bit? Yeah, it's a great idea. Thank you. This is a big thing. And in these change talks, I really don't, want or expect because it's just people talking about change that's what it is so just if you were to take the needle one step forward what is one thing that you for sure want to do next time hopefully there isn't a next time but the next time this comes up what is just one thing that you for sure want to do differently than what you've been doing up until this point point? and one one thought that came to my mind is when i feel the anger brewing to say to the service person, can you hold the line for one minute? <laughs> and just, and then breathe, count to 10, you know, just breathe. Like stop, t- time out and, and catch myself because I don't want to go there. And just say, ex- excuse me for, you know, 10 seconds. Uh, I'll get back, I, you know, can you hold the line for 10 seconds? And that's just something different. That is so simple. That is just, you know what? Oh, sorry, just hold on a minute. You don't even need to say, you know, I need, time i need a second you just sorry hold on one minute and then you just go and you do your thing and again even for this change talk what what you do in that 10 seconds is is yours but it sounds like what you could do is just say hold on a minute and if you just say hold on a minute that's a cue to then do whatever it is that you could do in that moment muster up some sort of comedy skit related to this or or something some breathing Thing, whatever it is, it, 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 it's just that pause, 
put the pause button on for a moment. Great. And is that something realistic that you like that you really think you would do? Yeah, you know, I, I most of these things are happening in Hebrew, which is not my first language. So, so that even that's even harder. That's yeah, it's a little easier. trickier. But sometimes I get an English speaking service person, but they, these things tend to happen more when it's in in Hebrew, because I find you know frustration levels increase. But uh, I'm going to practice that. I'm going to practice uh, make sure I get the right phrasing from my kids how to best. Um, you know, interrupt the conversation. Excuse me. Uh, I, I just need. I just need a break for one second. I'll be back in a second. And that's it. And and so, you have all these this innocuous situations, seemingly of frustration on the phone, and has these different meanings for you. Serves these different these different purposes for you, and it's going to be key in some small way to say, hey these things that I was getting from this, hopefully I can translate that into other ways. Hopefully this sense of righteous frustration can be used in positive ways. I don't have to ignore why I was doing the things that I was doing. I can just find better expressions for it. And I can remind myself of all the ways that I don't want to be this way. This is not in congruence with who I am. And at the end of the day, there's just one small thing you can do, which is hold on a minute whatever that means. So if you were to sum up this entire conversation into a phrase or an image or whatever, would it just be, hold on a minute? That's it. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. <laughs> That's it. So, so uh, thank you so much for this conversation, um, for your time, for your openness, for uh, bringing to light a situation that I, I think the mass majority of people, unfortunately, are, you know, experienced. And again, there are people listening to this that may be on the other end of this and being like, oh my gosh, you know, I also need to think about this from that perspective. And then, but then there's just all of us are calling people, trying to work these things out in some way. And uh, it's a big, difficult situation. And, and, and we're not alone in that. And I hope that, that your change talk can in some small way inspire other people who are who are thinking about change in this area. Perfect. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful. Editing for this podcast is done by the lovely Atara Shields Tile. Music and theme song by Hope and Social in their album Yorkshire Electric EP with the song People Change. <laughs>